If you want to open your Bibles to 1 John, we are going to continue in our study in the book of 1 John. If you are a guest uh, with us, we've been uh, working our way slowly but surely through this book of the Bible. It's our practice here at City Church to just sort of uh, meticulously somewhat work our way through uh, books of the Bible. We started this all the way back at the beginning of Advent. We did take a little bit of a break uh, from First John, but we picked it back up at the end of chapter 3 last weekend. Um, if you want to catch up on this uh, series and the teaching, um, you can go anywhere you find a podcast, Spotify, music, um, Google something, I'm sure, um, or our website, and you can listen to past messages um, to catch up on our First John series. Um, and it's important as we turn to chapter 4 this morning, um, we are going to uh, need to be uh, mindful and remember um, what it is, sort of the intent, and why John initially wrote this letter to the churches. Why is this letter in our Bibles? Why was it given to the churches that he was writing to? Um, because it will help us to understand what he's saying to us in chapter 4. And so just as a very quick recap, in the very first message I explained that John was writing in this time in his old age, very much, uh, this is after, uh, you know, in, in, near the end of his life, um, John is writing to churches, and this letter would have been distributed to a, a region of churches and sort of passed around. They called it a circular um, letter that would have been passed around to the area churches, and it was to combat a particular issue. And that issue was some false teaching that had crept into the church and begun to be taught to the church that said that Jesus wasn't really who he said he was. This group that was teaching this is uh, sort of uh, labeled under the title of Gnostics or teaching Gnosticism. And Gnosticism is really just, a, if you just think of it this way, is a, a bit of a conglomeration of a lot of uh, worldly teaching. There was some Greek uh, mythology in there. There was some pagan mysticism. There was quite a few various things from the world, essentially. And they, people just sort of brought these teachings, melded them together, and came up with this idea that they referred to or were referred to as Gnosticism. And here is what their theology says. By the way, theology is the study of God, and so everything that we do, I've said this often in our church, everything that we do, everything that we believe, our entire lives are rooted in some way to what we believe about God, about what our theology is. Biology, the study of life, theology, the study of God. And so their theology, although false and wrong, it taught them something. It led them to actions. It led them to a belief. And their belief was this. Summed up somewhat simply, but it it, it could be believed or, or categorized in this way. All flesh is evil. Anything of the natural world is evil and cannot be redeemed. The only thing that can be holy or can be of God is the spiritual realm. And so they divided spirit and flesh in that way and flesh could not be redeemed. It could not be holy. There was nothing good about that. Nothing could come from flesh. Only the spirit could be holy or could be of God. That theological belief system led them to this conclusion. Jesus, if he was God, could not have come in the flesh. You might remember, as I said, we started this series at the very first week of Advent where we were preparing our hearts and minds for the arrival of the Messiah, for the incarnation, for God to come and be like us by taking on flesh. This letter was written to affirm that that is who Jesus is. But these folks that have sort of crept in and begin to uh, uh, teach this message were saying that Jesus could not have come in the flesh because that would make God have put on evil evil and flesh can't be holy. There's nothing about it. So they separated these two things. 
The further conclusion, here's the life application of how they ended up living because of this. If Jesus didn't really come, if God did not come to take on flesh, then our flesh, in a sense, does not matter. So, either I live as an ascetic. Asceticism is this idea that we deny our flesh, all right? Um, I jokingly say this, and keyword jokingly, but, you know, when you, you know, the vegetarian, the vegan world, like, we just deny all, ourselves of all that good meat, that's, you know, that, that's a step. And again, that's a joke. I know that that's some dietary restrictions that are helpful in that way. But the, the aesthetics, they denied all of their flesh. They said that there's nothing that we can do. We don't want to do anything to feed our flesh. We don't want any, anything that would be good. And so they really denied everything that they might enjoy. They fought to deny that. The other side of the coin, we don't deal as much with that, but the other side of that coin, of that belief, if if Jesus didn't come in the flesh and he didn't come to be like us, to redeem us, then it doesn't matter what our flesh does because it can't ever be made holy. If you have an, if there's no ability, no following of Jesus, no work of God that could transform your life and make you look more like Jesus, then in a sense, it doesn't matter what you do. And so licentiousness and just doing whatever you wanted to do was the overflow of that theological belief. Both of those things being false. By the way, this is one where we do sometimes see struggles, maybe even within our own hearts, but also just in the world, where it doesn't matter what we do. God will redeem us. Grace abounds. We sort of forget what Paul said, that should we sin so that grace would abound all the more? Heavens no. And we end up following that path sometimes. But this is what John is dealing with, this false teaching that says that the spirit realm is the only thing that can be holy and therefore denying of all fleshly sort of life. So when we come to chapter 4, this is why he says what he says. If you would stand with me as I read chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, out of reverence for God's word. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. You may be seated. Lord Jesus, we pray in this brief time that we have together that you would remind us, would affirm, would help us to be clear on who you are. Holy Spirit, your truth, so that we might rightly discern and flee from the spirit of error and the lies that the world so often tries to tell us. Help us. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So John begins chapter 4 by telling us that we are not to believe every spirit, but to test the spirits so that we would know the spirit of God. 
Now, here's why he says this. I've got to go back one verse to the end of chapter 3 and verse 24 where he says, whoever keeps his commandment, we've talked about last week, was the commandment that Jesus gave was not a new commandment. It was to love God and love others. That's essentially it. We have to be people who love. And at the end of that teaching or that sort of exhortation, he says, whoever keeps his commandments to love God and love others abides in God and God in him. And here's the good news. By this, we know. We know, we have confidence that he abides in us. How? By the spirit whom he gave us. We can have confidence. We can have knowledge of who God is. We do not have to have any question or any doubt about who God is or what he has said. And we have that through the blessing of the Holy Spirit. That's what he said. In verse 1 of chapter 4, he says, he acknowledges that there are false spirits, false teachings. And so we have to test. Beloved, very pastorally he says, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. He doesn't just say there's one or two, but he says there's many things. There is one truth, one message from God, and many things that are false. The good news is is the spirit confirms what is true. The Spirit confirms the truth, and the Spirit confirms whether or not we are walking with God. We don't have to walk around with doubts, with questions. We don't have to be uneasy about that. That doesn't have to be a constant battle, although I know it is for some of, am I walking with God or am I not walking with God? Am I, is God pleased with me? Does he love me or is he not? Those doubts and those questions, while they can be valid, they don't have to be the way we live if we test the Spirit and we listen to the truth of God. And the Holy Spirit living in us affirms what is true, that we abide in God. And by our abiding in him, we love him and we love others. And so we test the spirits. As we test the spirits, we must do this because we've got to know who is it that we listen to. We test the spirits because we need to know who do we follow, who is our guide, What is God's will for my life? Maybe you've asked that question. I expect you have. At some point in your life, you've thought to yourself, what should I do? Should I go left or should I go right? And the way that you must discern that is to look to God, and you have to ask for the Spirit's help to guide you. How is it that those brothers that are going to Sierra Leone made a decision that said, I need to go to Sierra Leone? What what prompted that? What led them to that? We've had others that have gone before us. As we go out to plant a church, what prompts us to be a part of that work, for them to decide to go into that work, prompts us to come and gather and worship all of the decisions that we make. What is the guide for those? Who are we listening to? Who do we follow? We have to ask. I don't know about you, but I've sometimes struggled with this. Sat in a decision or sat in a situation, and I've thought, I think, I wake up and I think, I think this is what I should do. And then I ask, is that from God? Or did I have some bad food last night? (laughs) I'm not real sure which direction I should go. Is that from God, or am I just remembering one of Grandma's sayings that sounds kind of godly, but I'm not sure it is. Grandma was super godly, so most of what she said was, but... There's times where she just said some stuff, and I'm like, I don't think that's what the Bible says. We have to know. We have to test, right? We have to do this. Well, as we think about this test, John doesn't just say, test the spirits and good luck to you. I love you. 
march on. No, he gives us four truths that will help us and guide us as we test the spirits to know what is it that we are supposed to do? How are we to live? Who is it that we follow? Look at verse two. By this, you know. Once again, do you see the confidence? At the end of chapter three in verse 24, we know that he abides in us. And here again in verse two, by this, you know the spirit of God. This is the first test. The spirit of God, the one that confesses Jesus is from God. The spirit that confesses Jesus is from God. That's as simple and as straightforward as we need to know. Here it is. If what you are believing, if what someone is saying to you, if you peel the onion back and that is, results in a denial of Jesus, they aren't from God. If they deny Jesus, they aren't from God. You're thinking, so, well, okay, how do I know that? If they deny Jesus' work, they aren't from God. What does that look like? If they deny that Jesus went to the cross and his work on the cross was sufficient to atone for sin and to satisfy God's right wrath against sin of the world, and therefore we have been redeemed by that, if they deny that that is true, they aren't from God. There's only one thing that is true, that Jesus did work on a cross on my behalf. And if there's anything that says that might not be enough, you might need to do a little bit more. You might not, maybe he doesn't love you enough. Maybe he did that for somebody else, but not for you. Any of those things that we could be tempted to believe or sort of fall in a trap of belief in, not from God. If they confess Jesus, they, it is from God. Well, how do we get that? Peel that onion back a little further. If they deny what Jesus says is true, they aren't from God. This is why, friends, we need to know this book. We need to know what Jesus has said. I've said very often, a friend of mine said this, God isn't redundant. He's often told us, he's told us what we need to know about him in this book. And if we are tempted to believe or told something and we test it against this book and this book says otherwise, this is what is true, that is wrong. I've encouraged you many times, if I say something and it's wrong, correct me. This is the truth. Had a perfect example of this just a couple Tuesday mornings ago. It was real early in the morning, Tuesday men's Bible study, 6 a.m. I see a few of you that were there, a few of you that weren't, but I look forward to seeing you all this week, okay? Tuesday morning, 6 a.m. I was very all out of sorts, and, and I, I, I said out loud that David's friend, uh, Jonathan, is the one that confronted him and, uh, when he uh, dealt with Bathsheba. Some of you know that story. That wasn't true. Praise the Lord. One of the brothers said, hey, you're, you're clearly not awake right now or there's something wrong with you because that was Nathan. I, I was dumb. I'm an idiot. I, don't, I didn't get it right. That's okay. The word is what is true. It doesn't matter. It's not what I say. It's what this book says. That's what is true. If we deny that, now if I'd gone and started, well, I, need, I think I need to correct, then we would have had an issue. Thankfully, I just said I need more coffee, <laughs> which was what it was true. If they deny Jesus' truth, they aren't from God. If it says it in this book, that is what is true. So when we hear things or we're tempted to believe things and we say, I think I can get away with this or I think God might be telling me to do this. If you ever say to yourself, I think God might be telling me to do this, I just wanna encourage you, friends, be very careful of that because you're speaking for God. And if it's counter to what his word says, then it's a lie. We need to be cautious about that. God's word is true. And this is what we believe. So 
As we test the Spirit, we test it against what Jesus has said, what he has done, what we know of him, and we can know all of this through this book. The second truth that we can know is that the Spirit, small s, by the way, notice the small s, not the capital S here, the Spirit that denies Jesus is the Antichrist. So look again at verse 3. So we said verse 2, he says, every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Verse 3 Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. The spirit that denies Jesus is the Antichrist. There's been, in recent days, and I say in recent days, there's nothing new under the sun, so it's just sort of a cycle of history. But since the beginning of the church, it seems we've been looking for the Antichrist. We've been quickly trying to figure out a way that we can point a finger and say, that's the Antichrist, or that's the Antichrist. And most often at the time, more often than not, we sort of label that in an individual. More recently, most any person that is our political opponent will just label as an Antichrist. But the Bible is very clear about what the Antichrist is. The Antichrist are anyone, not just an individual, but anyone that is anti denies what Jesus has said. If, the, if, they, if they deny the truth, again, these false teachers were in the church and were purporting to say that they were teaching the way of God, they were antichrist because they denied that Jesus had come in the flesh. By denying that he had come in the flesh, they were denying that what he had done on the cross was enough. There were so many things that hung on that tree of denying who Jesus was. And, and John is very clear, he says, Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Any spirit, anyone that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. It's pretty simple. Not confessing Jesus, denying who Jesus is, denying what he has done, Antichrist. Affirming Christ, affirming the truth of God's word from God. That's how we test. We then get this encouragement in verse 4 that is so helpful to my soul. We know that the Antichrist, these spirits are in the world. But then he says, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. Children of God, you know the spirit of truth. You know what is true because the Holy Spirit fills you, has filled you and guides you and tells you what is true. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to live your life in fear, constantly worrying, am I being led astray by the Antichrist when you cling to and hold fast to the truth of who Jesus is. That is the only thing that we're called to do. Little children, John, in his very old age, speaking to all of us as his children, no matter what your age in this room is, John was probably older and he speaks to us in a pastoral, fatherly way. He says, you son, you daughter are from God and you've overcome all these spirits, not because of you. Guess why you've overcome them? This is critical. Little children, you are, not, you are from God and have overcome them for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. You've overcome them not by your own strength or power or might or wisdom or ability or anything within yourself. You've overcome these spirits because Jesus resides in you. 
The Spirit of God lives in you, and through his Spirit, he has overcome these things of the world. You don't have to worry about those things. You don't have to doubt and have question. This is how I, as I thought about this, I was reminded of when my, my now grown men were young men, little men, little boys, and they'll be mad at me for sharing this as they always are when I talk about them in church, but parenting is just a great tool for preaching, I'll just tell you. I always look over there because that's where they used to sit and tear. Um, but uh, when they were little, um, they were afraid of spiders. Still a little bit afraid of spiders, honestly, but when they were younger, it was like if there was a spider in the house, I mean, it was like everybody was up on a table somewhere, including mom, all three boys. I'm like, what is happening here? Now, I don't particularly like spiders. They're not like my BFF or anything. I don't go around looking for them, but I'm not afraid of the spider. And so I would grab the tissue wherever the spider was, and I'd walk over, grab the spider, pick it up, crush it. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And toss the spider into the trash can. They didn't need to be afraid of the spider. They didn't need to be afraid because dad was there and dad was going to protect them and guard them and ensure that no spider was going to harm them. There wasn't a spider big. They don't make them big enough that they could do anything to my son. Take me to Australia, whatever. I'm going to figure out a way to light it on fire. That's what we do, because I'm dad. John says to us, little children, you're from God. You have Jesus' spirit dwelling in you. He who is in you is greater than anything in the world. So stop scurrying about and jumping on tables and acting like we've got to be afraid of every false teaching, every lie, every enemy of God. They're not ours to defeat because Jesus already defeated them when he went to the cross, laid down his life, and took it up again three days later. You're from God. You have God dwelling in you. That's the truth. You don't have to be afraid. God the Father, through John, is taking the tissue, grabbing the spider of whatever Thing you might have been tempted to believe and tossing it in the can and saying, he who is in you is greater than anything in this world. Don't be afraid. You don't have to live in fear. This is why we do, candidly, so many kind of weird and crazy things as believers sometimes because we're so afraid. What if this happens or what if that happens? What if this creeps in? What if you're of God? The spirit is in you. Follow Jesus. Trust his word. Listen to his word. You know what is true. Hear from him. Now, he, then the fourth truth he gives us in verse five, he gives us the counter to that. You are from God. You have the spirit in you. They, those that are trying to lead you astray, they are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world. And the world listens to them. They are of the world the world listens to them. They speak to the world. All of this, he's saying essentially this. Do not be shocked, brothers and sisters, when the world does worldly things. We don't need to be afraid of it. We shouldn't be put in awe of that. We don't have to live our lives constantly concerned about that. We trust the victor over the world, the one who is in us, who is greater than the one in the world. 
and the victory that we have through him in Christ. John isn't shocked by the way that the world speaks this way. No, look, look at just how plainly he says this. Hey, they're from the world. They do what the world does, and they say what the world says, and the world listens to them. There's not a follow-up to that. There's not an action item that we need to take on because they just says, just acknowledge that that's what they do. This is the way that he confronts this. Remember who Jesus is. I'd encourage you this week, maybe this morning even, spend some time. Go through the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The story of Jesus' life here on earth. And look at how he addressed everyone who confronted him. Everyone that came against him. Most often the religious elite, but there were others that would deny him. Those others that had some challenges with Jesus. And notice how he interacts with them. I'll give you the answer to the test right now. Every single one, he just says, that's not true. I am the truth. You're a liar. I'm from God. Thank you. (laughs) Much more graciously than I said it, by the way, because he's Jesus and he's very tender. But in a sense, that's what he's saying. He doesn't, he, he doesn't deal, he doesn't, inter, I mean, he interacts, but there's not some large fight that happens. There's no war that happens. He just says, no, that's not true. That's a lie. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Follow me, and you'll have eternal life, the end. And there's a restfulness, in a sense, in Jesus. There's this confidence, and we have his spirit in us to give us that same rest. You may be asking yourself, Pastor, like, why are you worried about this? Why is this in our Bibles? Do we have to worry about this? Well, periodically, I think we do. We do need to test those spirits against the word of God. And these are some of the things that I just thought of a few. I won't, this won't be comprehensive. I didn't make a slide for this. I apologize. But if you want to write these down, there's just a few that came to my mind. Some of us and others may talk to us and deny the reality of who Jesus is. This is one of the things that is taught sometimes or spoken of in our world. Just as there were those who denied that Jesus came in the flesh here, today there are some that deny that he was God. Others, rather than be, say that rather than being God, that Jesus was something else. They say that Jesus was a good man. He was a prophet. Um, there's teaching from various organizations and groups that affirm this, that Jesus isn't really God that he was created, he was created as the son or other things. That's not the truth. If Jesus isn't eternal, if he isn't eternal, meaning that he has always been, then he can't be God because that means there was a creator over him that created him and that would make him less than God. We can't do that. So there's those that deny who Jesus is. Some of us might hear or be tempted to believe that we deny the finished work of Christ on the cross, that what Jesus did on the cross wasn't enough. Here's how this sometimes creeps in. Could Jesus really love me? I'm not sure. If he understood or knew this sin area of my life, then he, couldn't, he wouldn't love me for that. He wouldn't have died for me. He doesn't love me. We believe these things sometimes. We're tempted to believe these things. That maybe there's something in our life that is beyond and outside of Jesus' reach for us. Maybe for our neighbor, there's something in their life that I just don't believe that Jesus could ever save that person or could ever redeem that person. They're just too far gone. Those are not the truth. These are things that we can sometimes believe. And when we believe those things, then we begin to ask, how can I be forgiven? Is it possible that God could forgive me of fill in the blank? 
We need to know that, yes, it is possible. Other times, we might hear something that denies the resurrection, that Jesus rose from the dead. Paul said that if the resurrection isn't true, that we are a people most to be pitied because we've essentially staked our lives on something, if it weren't true, that there's no hope for us. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then we are hopeless. But we know that he did. He rose from the dead, conquered sin and death. You know, Bryce, if you can, sorry, just a quick audible. We'll still get out on time, don't worry. But go to, go to the song that we sang, that, that line that begins with idols. We just sang this a few moments ago. I just want to remind you of these words. I won't bow to idols. I'll stand strong and worship you. If it puts me in the fire, I'll rejoice because you're there too. I'll rejoice even though I might deal with the world. There may be pain and suffering that comes because I'm living in the world. I'm going to stay with you, Jesus. I'm going to hold on to what you tell me is true, even if it puts me in the fire because I know you'll be with me. Go to the next one. I won't be formed by feelings. I'll hold fast to what is true. I won't listen to the things, those things that creep up late at night, and tempt me to think that God might not love me. I'll know what is true. I'll hold fast to that. If the cross brings transformation, then I'll be crucified with you. I know that as I follow you, Jesus, you told me that I am not greater than my master, and if you went to the cross, then I'm gonna have to go to a cross. I'm gonna have to die to myself, and I'll do it to be crucified with you, because why? The next line's the promise. Because death is just the doorway into resurrection life. One more. If I join you in your sufferings, then I'll join you when you rise. That's the truth. That's the truth of who Jesus is. And all these false things that kind of creep into our minds and our hearts, even false messages from the world, they are just that. They are lies. This is what we know to be true because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world because of Jesus. We don't have to have fear. Little children, rest in what Christ has done. We're gonna receive from the Lord's table this morning as a reminder of what Christ has done. His finished work on the cross. His bodily resurrection three days later. We can have confidence in that. We can know that that is true. As we remember, we come to the Lord's table. We say, Jesus, I know you, and I have confidence in you, and I know what you have done on my behalf. If you don't know Jesus this morning, Gotta believe there's at least a few of you in the room that aren't really sure about who Jesus is and what he has done. I want you to know that any confidence you see in me rests sure just on this foundation, that my sins were fully paid for by the God of the world who came and looked and dealt with life just like I deal with it, but he laid down his life on a cross. His body was broken, his blood was shed, and that's the symbolic bread and juice is symbolic of that truth he laid down his life for me to atone to pay 
the sacrifice that was due to God on behalf of my sins. I know that is true. And this morning, before you come to the Lord's table, the Bible instructs you don't come to the Lord's table and do something in remembrance of Jesus when you don't yet know Jesus. So perhaps as we receive, as believers come to receive from the Lord's table, I just wanna invite you, maybe sit in your chair this morning and just spend some time in prayer. And my prayer is that you would believe this morning, believe that God's word is true and that he brought you here this morning so you could know that is true, so you could have confidence in that truth, so that you could know that you know that you know. That's my hope for you. For those of us that know that is true, we come to the table to remember what Christ has done, hopefully to spur us on, if nothing else, for one more week to live in remembrance of what is true remembrance of Christ's sacrifice. Just some brief instructions for you as we receive communion. Our elders are gonna dismiss us, our larger crowds help us to kind of need some uh, navigation in this area. So if you're sitting on the wings to my left or to my right, the elders are gonna dismiss you guys first. You'll come to the center, exit through the center aisle and then go back to your seats. And then they'll dismiss center sections. You'll then come forward. Also, if you would go out and then in, we're all gonna exit through the wings and come down the center aisle back to our chairs. Um, that'll help you get back to your place. Um, there's some people that wanna take your seat and get hit, you know, I'm just teasing, they don't. But if you, if you do it my way, you'll get back to your seat, I promise. Um, we have gluten-free bread. If you need gluten-free, um, just ask the elder who's serving you to hand you the gluten-free option. I'm at the front. Let me pray. The worship team's gonna lead us. And as I pray, would you just seek the Lord? Even before you stand up, you can spend some time seeking the Lord and then let us come and receive from the Lord's table. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the opportunity to call our hearts to remember what is true, to gain confidence in what is true. Would you use this time for your glory, for our good? We love you. We praise you. It's in Christ's name I pray. Thanks for joining us for the preaching of God's Word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m., and we look forward to meeting you there soon. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God, the good of the city, and the hope of the world. Oh, you say.